Hello. Who wants to talk about fuel prices? <laughs> <laughs> nothing going on with them. No, there's nothing going on with fuel prices <laughs> at all. How long have you and I known each other? Too long. <laughs> no, we've yeah. known each other for uh, 25 years yeah, at least now. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. So we both come from a fuel background. We've been doing this for a long time. So uh, what do you think is going on? We got a lot of people here that care about fuel. Right. Fuel prices and supply. What do you think? I mean, it's going to be a tough winter for diesel prices. We are looking at a shortage of diesel in the marketplace. And I don't see with winter coming any quick fix to this. You know, we were, we set the stage prior with all the pullbacks in refining from the pandemic. We've lost and shut several refineries here and abroad. And those chickens are coming home to roost now add on top of it, of course, the war in Ukraine with Russia as a major supplier of diesel to Europe that is in question uh, and uh, will ultimately, it looks like, be severely reduced. Right. So we are running on fumes as far as inventories of diesel in this country. Okay. And that's a problem for everybody who needs to put it in their truck and burn it. So are there any areas in particular where we see really acute shortages? Yes. The Northeast, which is pad one, which right. is what we would talk about in energy terms. But the Northeast and the Midwest are both of concerns. Remember, we're going into winter into the Northeast. And we are also in the middle of harvest and agricultural use in the Midwest. Plus, there is some residual home heat. We've also seen you know, crazy prices on the West Coast with gasoline. Right. But it all stems from the fact that we've been shutting refineries here and in Canada, especially some key ones into the Northeast that we would really love to have. So, you know, we work with companies to try to control their energy prices through hedging and using financial instruments. So we work with a lot of home heating oil distributors who are saying to us, we never say this, but we actually want a warm winter because we're so afraid about the availability of supply. And what I've been reading is that we might be looking at a pretty cold winter. Yes. Uh, that could really have... It almost goes back to the year when New York Harbor was frozen in an ice storm and you couldn't move barges and there was no there was no diesel fuel in, in the Northeast. I mean, that would be a nightmare this year. So, I mean, luckily, we made it through hurricane season. Right. So let me ask you something. So if so if I if I was a fleet, if I was a carrier and I had to start really thinking about this now, clearly, I want to get I want to align my physical fuel buying. I want to look at my contracts. I want to see what kind of formulas I'm buying on. But what else would you do at this point? Well, remember, many end users of fuel will set a budget. But then they don't do anything to secure that budget. I always say hope and pray is not a hedging strategy. So if you're not already hedging your fuel budget, it's something I would look strongly at. Now, prices have already come up, but they're nowhere near the high that we saw back in April. But the big concern, once again, is that if it gets cold here, it gets cold in Europe, we could see prices really move. So this, it, it always amazes me, having been in this business for almost 40 years, that people go, oh, the international picture doesn't affect me. It, it's, I only care about what's going on here. 
that's not the case anymore. No. I mean, this year, really more so than any other year, what's happening internationally is having a huge effect on us here. Yes, and you've always had to care about this in right. petroleum. Remember, oil is a big geopolitical commodity, and we have to care what's happening in Iran. I mean, there were rumors about Iran and Saudi Arabia just yesterday. We have to care about China, and the fact that China may slow down is probably the most bearish story that we have out there, which might help lessen some global demand and bring prices down. But really, the key story for this upcoming winter, and I think will be with us through 2023, is the fact that we do not have inventory of distillates. So normally, we would like to see going into the winter, you know, much more than we have in inventory right now. We're about 106 million barrels of distillate inventory. Minimum operating capacity is about 100 million, and below that, the system starts to have problems. Right. So when I say we're running on fumes, we are to the point where there's allocations in certain markets. So you still have to make sure that you know you have your physical plan in place, but then I would also have financially a hedging program in place because it could get expensive. Now, I know some people in this room do have fuel surcharges, which is something we've been talking about this whole talking conference. Whole but remember, when the wholesale price goes up, if you're on a formula like an Opus or an Argus or a Platts, that surcharge is not going to move as fast right. as what's happening at right. that level. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, what always interests me is that Fuel is many times an afterthought for some of these very, very large buyers, right? They don't dedicate specific resources to it. We had, we had a joke. I spent many years at Opus. We called it the book. People would pass the yep. book on and they would just, yeah, yeah, buy it the way you've been buying it forever. And people get scared when you, when you say hedging. It immediately triggers like this weird reaction with people. What... What should people be doing? I mean, how do you start? If I'm, if I want to do it, I mean, obviously they should go to you because you're the best. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll give <laughs> but, you that twenty dollar bill. Yeah, I know, right? You owe me twenty dollars. <laughs> but like, what do you? Where would you start? Where would you start? Well, there's always education. You know, these are financial instruments. You want to deploy them correctly, but you shouldn't be afraid. Um, working with a group, and I can only talk about my, my own group, but we are a specialist that only works with companies who have energy risk in their buying portfolios or selling portfolios. Um, there are classes, there are education that you can you take. Yeah, I you teach a hedging class. It's coming up in two weeks in New Shameless Orleans. Plug. <laughs> <laughs> which is it's great. worth going which to. Actually, that. I will tell you something. Normally, when I teach this hedging class, and we've been working on this yeah. together for forever, I normally have the people who distribute fuel in the room. This time, I have more end users of fuel, which tells you that they're concerned about where prices could be headed. Right. Well, but I like to think about it this way. Everybody who has a truck insures it. You know, when you think about your biggest costs, you've got fuel and labor. Why not put insurance on at least one of them so that you can stay within a budget or maybe have a contract that doesn't have a fuel surcharge? See, the smart companies can use this as a marketing opportunity. Right. Right. And the other thing that I think people don't realize, and we teach it, 
I have taught, you've taught a hedging class for many years. I've taught a physical fuel buying class for many years. And one thing that we've always noticed is that big, big buyers of fuel do not leverage that fuel spend when they go to negotiate a fuel contract. They, they just don't. They're they don't because they're rateable. Exactly. It's all about when we say rateability, what we mean is that's how much fuel you buy. So the bigger you are, the bigger a bat you're going to swing and it's it gives you negotiating. But internally, if if I get my physical fuel buying piece in order and now I want to set up a hedging program internally, what do I want to do? Like, what should I be doing? Yes. Well, you want to make sure you have buy-in from management, but you also want to make sure that you have one person who's in charge of actually placing or lifting right. those hedges. The hedging committee can decide how many gallons you want to hedge over what time period, but you need to have someone execute. You know, Southwest Airlines is our case study of how to hedge very well. Right. And anybody uh, who flies Southwest doesn't pay a baggage fee, you can thank their hedging program for that. But they're hedging billions with a B, gallons, and it's done by a relatively small group of people. So you need to do that. You also, right now, if you're looking at the way that the futures markets, which is probably the market you will be hedging with, it's the most liquid, it's highly correlated, uh, it meets all the hedge accounting rules for every study we've ever done against the EIA's prices, uh, right now, as you look out the futures curve, the months that don't expire for six months or a year are considerably cheaper than the price today. The so the, it's called backwardation. And so there's actually a sale on fuel out in the future. You just have to know how to right. access it and capture that for your budget. Right, right. So the just... There's a lot of takeaways from of this, course, right? There's, yes. there's a ton of takeaways from this. But I could expect as somebody, if I was sitting out there and I'm operating a fleet, I can expect to see really a lot of volatility with fuel prices and especially with supply. Exactly. And depending upon where I am. And if I run trucks throughout the Northeast, I could have a lot of issues. Right. And remember, when we talk about a hedging program, we're not necessarily talking about locking in a price. We also actually, for most of the fleets that we work with, they want to know that they have a budget or that they can beat that fuel budget. Right. So one of the nice things is there are hedging instruments that are set up so that if prices go higher, you know, worst case, what your fuel spend will be. But if prices collapse, let's say tomorrow love and peace breaks out in the world. You know, and I'm not holding my breath I on that, either. by the way. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> or Putin wakes up dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, one of the two. They're going to come to you if that happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wasn't here. <laughs> so I, was I am based in Washington. I have no prior knowledge. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, the you can set up a hedging program so that if prices do collapse, you can have the windfall of those lower prices right. in your in your buy. So that's the great news. So you get to participate in the market's that's downside. Right. You're not. And I think that's where people get confused a lot is that they think a lot of people want to lock in a price. Right. And, right. and I want to lock in a price for a specific, specific yeah, I can't talk, a specific period of time. But the problem with that is, is that if the market collapses, as we're saying, right. I'm not participating in the downside and try explaining that to a customer. They right. just don't get it, right. right? 
Well, I will tell you a story. You know, we work with, um, for example, construction companies. They also buy a lot of fuel. And in one of the hedging uh, classes that uh, we taught, we had a woman who was a buyer for the fuel for a large construction company, multi-state. And she's like, I have the worst job in the world because if I buy fuel and prices fall apart, my management says, how come you didn't know prices were going to go lower? Like anybody knows that where prices are going. I right. mean, even though I think I have a pretty good handle on the uh, the pulse of the market, if I knew where prices are going, you and I'd be sitting on a yacht somewhere as opposed to Chattanooga. <laughs> as lovely as we're not it is. on a yacht. <laughs> well, maybe be on some yacht rock, but <laughs> at 3.30. Anyway, but uh, the... The thing is, she's like, and if I buy and prices go up, then they think I did my job. Well, we taught her about how you can hedge and have your cake and eat it so that prices go up. She looks like a genius. If prices go down, she looks even smarter. It's like, where have you been all my life? Right. It's made my, my life a lot easier right. as procurement. So, you know, one of the things that I always tell people is that unlike a lot of things that you can buy, like through Amazon or you buy on the Internet if you shop, Fuel is not like that. Fuel no. is very much a, I need to have a personal relationship with my supplier. I need to know who that person is. I need to have a, a name and an and a actual person I can pick the phone up and call. This is the same thing, right? You exactly. have to be really comfortable with the person that you're going to work with. Exactly, because you want to make sure that... You know, they're there to answer questions. And there's a lot of things. I mean, we work with everything from publicly traded companies all the way down to small family businesses. And they all have the same needs that they need to have somebody they can talk to about planning, uh, advice, what instruments, what time frames. And then it gets into things even like if you're a publicly traded company, can you help me work on the accounting I need to get my correlations for FASB 133, which not to bore everybody, but that's the hedge accounting rules. So there's, you know, depending on the type of business, you know, you need to have somebody who can. And also for a lot of people, it's, whole, it's a lot of, we do a lot of handholding. Well, and I was going to say, because this can keep you up at night. Sure. Right? I mean, it's going to keep you up at night. It'll keep you up at night anyway, because of what's going to likely happen with fuel prices and supply. But this is something that you're, you may wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning going, what is my position? Well, especially Where? if you hear the news. Right, you know, and something that, causes a big movement in the market. Right. Uh, you know, I think the takeaway for a lot of people is that there's, we are not going into a period where there's going to be scant volatility. It's no, going to be no. we've already, a rough ride. And we've already set a record in volatility this year. I mean, there were days on the futures market where we had a 70 cent day up and a dollar 25 cent day down. It's Those crazy. are breathtaking. That's a lot of money. When you get multiply that times the number of gallons that trades hands on the futures market, right. we're talking a lot of money. So you want to make sure you get this right. Yeah. And, and you know, we don't have much time when we're running out of time, but I would say to everybody, and I, I hope you agree with me, I think it's always good to go back especially if you're somebody who has been handed the book, right? Yes. And now fuel, you were buying coffee or paper cups two weeks ago, and now you're buying fuel. It ain't the same thing. No, it's, it's not. not. So it's always a good time to go back, review the way that you're buying, look at your fuel contracts, and consider, and consider uh, 
you know, leveraging your spend and consider hedging. But this is going to be a rough ride with prices and supply. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So keep your seatbelt buckled. Yes, keep your seatbelt buckled. Well, thank you. Always. A pleasure. Always. Thank you for all of you for Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) All righty. Thanks. Thanks.